Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, December 16th, we're studying Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. The salvation that the Lord accomplishes for Israel to deliver them from the judgments against them brings gladness and singing to his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Ryan Agrodowitz. Pastor Agrodowitz serves as Associate Pastor and Headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agrodowitz, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Pastor Apple, thank you for having me. Good to be here as always. So the text from Zephaniah 3 is appointed for the third Sunday in Advent in Series C of the three-year lectionary. We've talked a little bit about that third Sunday in Advent on previous episodes here. It's that one that stands out because the candle is pink or rose-colored. Some some folks are a little particular about which one you say. Either way, it is a Sunday that stands out in Advent, and it's, it's worth revisiting just briefly here. Give us some of that context of the third Sunday in Advent and how Zephaniah 3 is going to fit into that context. Yeah, sure. Well, it is also called Gaudita, uh, Sunday, which means to rejoice, be joyful, and it is the Sunday of joy in Advent, and there's plenty of reason to be joyful. And Zephaniah, as we get into the text proper, it's going to be highlighting the joy that we have as God's people, because our Lord is, is always coming, and we can unpack that a little little more. But as we, we make our way through the blessed Advent season, of course, our hearts and minds need to be on Christ. And, you know, Advent means um, arrival or coming, and so that's what's on our mind. And that our Lord is coming, this is the week that we are to, to rejoice and be joyful as we reflect on His coming again on that last day to usher in the new heavens and the new earth, um, as well as, you know, we're in the kingdom of God even right now, and He continues to come to us. And again, we'll unpack that as we get to the text proper, I'm sure of it. But that's the... That's the context of Advent 3, very much um, a time of being joyful as we anticipate the coming of our Lord. So this is that Sunday of joy, and Zephaniah, as we read the text, certainly we will see how that fits into it. Zephaniah, though, is perhaps one of those prophets that's a little less familiar than others. Uh, we've spent a lot of time in Isaiah during this series that's taking us through the prophets in, in the season of Advent, but this is the only text that we get from Zephaniah. It's not the only text from Zephaniah in the various lectionaries that are used, if you're using the three-year lectionary at your congregation, at the end of series A, which is the one we just came out of, you get part of Zephaniah chapter one during those Sundays toward the end of the church year. So it's not completely unfamiliar to us if we use a lectionary in our congregation. But again, Zephaniah is perhaps not one of the best known prophets. So since this is the only text from Zephaniah we get in this series, let's set a little bit of context. Who is Zephaniah, Pastor Agrodots? What do we know about him? What do we know about his ministry and his book? 
Yeah, sure. And I would argue we know quite a bit because the opening of Zephaniah gives us some genealogies and it has some important names in it. So if you open Zephaniah, um, one of the, the first things it says in verse 1, we have some background. He's the son of one named Cushi, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, and then, this is big, son of Hezekiah. And one, the more, one, excuse me, more than one scholar uh, thinks that that is likely the, the good King Hezekiah mentioned in the Old Testament, and that that's why this name is put here, to link him to Hezekiah. If that is indeed true, then that means Josiah, you know, he would have been a prophet of clout and maybe even had access to the royal court, and he would have been able to have a firsthand witness of just how decadent and depraved things had become in the leadership of Israel and how it trickled on down. Uh, we're told he is doing his ministry in the reign of a guy named Josiah, the son of Ammon, and he was the king of Judah. Now, whenever it mentions a king like this for the prophets, that's extremely helpful. Again, we can find quite a bit of information just digging in our Bibles to the historic books like First and Second Kings and First uh, and Second Chronicles. We know Josiah; he he's one, he's he's getting toward towards the end of the line of kings in Judah. Um, so uh, by this point, the northern kingdom Samaria had already fallen to the Assyrian threat, and now uh, Josiah he reigns from 640 B.C. to around 609 uh, B.C. That, that, that seems to be the consensus that scholars have settled with. But there's only, um, you know, between three to four kings after him. Zedekiah is really just a, um, a, a puppet king at that point. But, uh, you know, again, he's towards the tail end of the fall of Jerusalem, which is going to happen in 587, 586 B.C. So he's getting very close to that. Uh, Josiah's reign and, and you know, consequently, Zephaniah's ministry. Um, being that, you know, he, he grows up uh, to minister in, in, uh, under Josiah, he also would have um, most likely encountered uh, Ammon's reign, so he's the guy before Josiah, and then Manasseh's reign. And Manasseh's reign is a very long reign. Um, Josiah's is too, but Manasseh's, oh, I'd have to go back and look, but I think it's... Um, 50 years at least. Uh, someone can fact-check me on that. But he he's a very evil, wicked king. Uh, in Second Chronicles, it does talk about Manasseh repenting towards the end of his reign, but he did a lot of evil, horrible things. And Josiah would have um, grown up, most likely would have grown up uh, in some of Manasseh's reign. Of course, Ammon comes and goes pretty quick, and then Josiah has a very long, lengthy 31-year reign so we know quite a bit about the his, you know, the background of Zephaniah, the context he's coming into. Um, Josiah being a good king, you know, it's under Josiah they find what's called the Book of the of the Law. Hilkiah finds it when they're cleaning out the temple, and uh, you know, it it certainly contains many uh, sayings of Moses. This uh, Book of the Law that they find, some think it's maybe the Book of Deuteronomy. There's a little bit of debate on that, though. It could be some other Old Testament books as well. But all that to say, when they find the book of the law, this just really sends shockwaves to the kingdom, because now Josiah realizes they've found this book that has been neglected, and they have to do a lot of reforms. And Josiah's reforms, which includes restoring the great Passover celebration, hard to believe they had <laughs> kind of left that out, that's a big celebration. Um, these reforms are great, powerful, and mighty, and Zephaniah would have been ministering 
during the times these reforms take place. And again, Josiah's got a lot of cleanup work to do. Not only had they forgotten the book of the law, or lost it rather, but the two kings before him, and, and indeed others, did a lot of bad, evil things, turning Israel to idolatrous practices. All this to say, Zephaniah really has his work cut out for him. Uh, there's debate, too, on whether or not Zephaniah is doing his ministry before or after the reforms um, of Josiah. If it's before, that certainly makes sense, because when you hear him describe the decadent uh, state of Israel, one could see how these reforms had not, been, had not taken place. But there are some who argue maybe Zephaniah was still having, you know, to labor and preach after Josiah had made his reforms, his, uh, you know, tearing down the idols in the high places and so forth. But there was still some some remnants of those sinful, wicked practices, and that makes sense as well. So it's hard to be very specific on where precisely in Josiah's reign Zephaniah did his ministry. But you know, even you know, you know sin is sin, and it's all over the place, and so. Whether it's before or after Josiah is putting his reforms into into practice, Zephaniah still has plenty of work to do, and we are going to hear him describe, you know, how Israel is and what she's doing, and that's going to give us some context too, setting us up for getting into chapter three. So that's a lot there, but I mean, there's just plenty to talk about the historical setting when you look and you see. Uh, not only is it possible he's linked to Hezekiah. But under Josiah, there's plenty in the Bible about that king and what he went through. So plenty of labor for uh, our dear prophet Zephaniah to, to undertake as he ministers for the Lord. And as you said, that would be true whether he comes before those reforms of Josiah, during those reforms, or after them. Because even when those reforms take place, it's not like everything suddenly became, quote, better overnight. I mean, think you could think of what happened with Luther during the Reformation and how much he had to labor and how many those who came after him had to labor to to preach the pure gospel after him. Even after the book of the law is found in the days of Josiah, there's still work to be done. And so Zephaniah's ministry, his book fits in that entire context. So we're looking, what, probably a little bit before Jeremiah, maybe a little bit of overlap with, well, probably some overlap with Jeremiah, because Jeremiah knows yeah, Josiah. Sure. sure, he does. Overlap with uh, Jeremiah and possibly Habakkuk as well. Um, so, yeah, in the Lutheran Study Bible, there's a nice, nice introductory section to Zephaniah, and it mentions about him laboring uh, during the time of Jeremiah. So, you know, that just adds even more to it. If he knew Jeremiah and spoke with him, you know, I think I think that adds a lot to, uh, to the discussion as well. But, yeah, Jer- Jeremiah, most likely a contemporary, lots of overlap there, and, and as I said, with Habakkuk possibly as well. So the text that we get to look at today is actually the very end of the book of Zephaniah, the final verses in chapter 3 the final verses of his entire book. As we think about his his book as a whole, what are some of the features that we need to see? What has he been talking about that leads up to the text we're going to read today? Certainly we see a description of the situation. We're going to get that in Zephaniah. You know, how how is Israel? And Zephaniah will give us a description of the, the spiritual state of God's people, the nation of Israel. We hear plenty of judgments in Zephaniah uh, leading up to chapter 3. As with quite a few of the minor prophets, there's this law-gospel theme at work. Uh, the opening sections, beginning with these judgments, God is is um, dishing out towards Israel and other nations. So 
after the, the, these threats of judgment and punishment, along with the description of the state of Israel, what she is doing, how she is acting, these things come and precede chapter 3, where we're, we're going to get a good dose of the gospel, the kingdom of God, restoration, and those sorts of things. So really, I mean, if you understand law and gospel, the prophets so often of the time, they follow that, that pattern in their preaching. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, there is that text from Zephaniah 1 that shows up in the three-year lectionary, you know, the day of the Lord is near, and the prophet Zephaniah preaches very memorably concerning that day of the Lord. He calls it a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry. That's the kind of preaching that Zephaniah has been doing, that very harsh law, but needed harsh law to the people of Israel living in that decadence, calling them back to repentance. And and what we get today is really the the good news that comes at the very end. This too is a, a theme from the prophets. It's been over a year now that we went through the book of Amos here on Sharper Iron. And the book of Amos, boy, I mean, it's like all law until you get just to the very end of that book. Yep. The last five verses, Amos preaches yep. some really sweet gospel. Zephaniah isn't all that different. He's just not quite as long as Amos where right. the front part is law. And then he gives you just this awesome gospel at the end. Yes. Yes. I love the book of Amos. I remember coming on sharper iron uh, during one of the segments of Amos, but yes, yeah, similar pattern. If you know Amos, well, you know, lots of law on the front end, and towards the very end, you know, he applies the gospel to the people, and Zephaniah is following a similar format. And you mentioned the harsh law being needed. You know, when we come into this, and you see God immediately starting with these judgments towards his people, well, this is what they needed to hear. When someone is secure in their sin, and Israel was, when they are just flattering themselves and being very complacent towards God, and Israel was, they're not taking worship seriously. It's like nothing is getting their attention, this kind of preaching, you know, this is what's needed. I mean, we should, we should couple this with the knowledge that the northern kingdom had already fallen by this point. The Assyrian war machine had come in, leveled the area, so to speak, repopulated it. And so to to understand that it happened and still be just lazy, complacent, and really settled in your idolatry, uh, you know, on the one hand, it, it, it might baffle us or even surprise us, but then again, it shouldn't, because this is how the old Adam and all of us is. We want to flee from God, flee from His Word, look for excuses not to listen, look for excuses to avoid the things that he gives us. And Israel, sadly, is no different than we are, no different than what the Scriptures say when we hear statements like, no one living is righteous before you, O God, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory the glory of God. And, and just numerous other passages highlighting the decadent sinful condition that is so bad, we can see the threats, we can see the judgment, the death, and still just go on being, uh, you know, complacent, lax, and just frankly asleep when we should be awake and watching for our Lord. Hmm. One thing that that stands out about the book of Zephaniah, in in my studies of it previously, again, preparing for that Zephaniah 1 text, I preached a sermon on it several years ago, is what you can hear in the book of Zephaniah. And and in Zephaniah 1, verse 7, the prophet says, be silent, before the Lord God. There's this this function of the law. Paul talks this way in Romans 3 that before the law of God 
all mouths must be stopped. When, when God starts accusing you, when he tells you what you must do and what you must not do, and you see your sin, there's nothing there but for you to be quiet. Because if, you, if you're not quiet, you're going to start justifying yourself, and that's just going to remove you even farther from the Lord. And, and that theme of, of what you can hear and, and the – I mean, sort of in chapter 3, there's – talk of oh let's see three verse one woe to her is rebellious and defiled the oppressing city she listens to no voice she accepts no correction Uh, verse nine is where you start to get the change at that time i will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech there's there's this this theme i think that runs through the book of zephaniah of being quiet when the lord is is speaking his words of law and condemnation that's now going to be transformed into words of singing and joy when he speaks his good news of salvation and the gospel to you it's just one of those things that and i know we're not studying the whole book but i i think it's important to see as we prepare to read this very last section of the of the book it, it very much is and if i could add you know you're, you're talking about this theme of being silent before the lord uh, in chapter 3, in our text today, there is a passage when he says, He will quiet you, he will quiet you by his love, or with his love. And so the quiet and silence, yeah, in verse 17, chapter 3, he will quiet you by his love. His love is going to make us silent. And and that's another pregnant passage that's just filled with a lot of comfort. But, you know, I think you're right. To really appreciate chapter 3, you got to get the whole context. And Zephaniah uh, one of the, the convenient things about it, it is a short book. It doesn't take a long time to read and even talk about to get an idea of what's going on, how things are, before you get to the passage that we're looking at today. Right. So with all of the judgment that the prophet Zephaniah has spoken against the people of Israel, now he turns to comfort them here at the very end of his book, Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20, which I will read for us right now. The prophet writes, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. That is Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20, our text for today. So right away, Pastor Grotowitz, you can see why this text gets chosen for the third Sunday in Advent. Sing, shout, rejoice, exult. The joy is is all over the place. Coming out of that judgment, here is the Lord's salvation. And what do the Lord's people do? They rejoice. They sing. Yes, they do. They sing. They sing because of what God has done. They sing knowing who they are what they have on account of his mercy and his grace. So this really is a singing from the heart, the proper, natural, genuine, faithful response to receiving God's gift. So yeah, that's how the text starts, (laughs) a call to singing joy with all of our hearts, 
uh, because of what our gracious Lord has done. Now, verse 15, it says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. You know, we look at a passage like that, and it is, it is difficult not to think about the doctrine of, of justification, that gl- great glorious doctrine for the Church, where the judgments against you because of sin have been, have been taken away, because they, they fall upon Christ. He bears the wrath of God at the cross. He absorbs all wrath for all sin, that you may stand before the Father in innocence and purity. And, you know, when, when I'm teaching a Bible study, and, and we, we bring up, or I bring up, the concept of innocence before God. You know, I, I do remember one saint, faithful, faithful member one time, you know, comment, it's really hard to hear that we're innocent, you know, because of the many, many sins that we commit. And, you know, it's a great, glorious comfort, though, to know in God's sight, He declares you to be innocent, because precisely your sins have been taken up by his only begotten Son, who sacrifices himself on the cross, his body. He dies and rises again on that third glorious day. And in him you are spotless and pure, and the accusation and the threats of the law fall to nothing, precisely because of God's saving work. Hence the reason we sing. In possession of these things, we sing, we exult, and rejoice. It is hard to believe that we are innocent before the Lord. It, and it is an article of faith, because when I, I look at my life, I see my sins. I mean, I think that's why we, we have to confess it in the creed, in, in the third article, right? I believe in the forgiveness of sins. When I, when I look at my life, I, I don't look just. <laughs> I don't look like a saint. And yet, that is who I am in Christ, because he has taken away these judgments. The judgments have been placed on Christ instead of upon me. And as you said, that that is the article of justification right there, that for the sake of Christ, God accounts me righteous through faith. I, I, I believe it. I can't, I can't do it. I, in this life, I start to do good works. I, I start to, to see some of those things, but it's always in great weakness. And, and this matter of the judgments being taken away fully, I stand before the Lord innocent and righteous so that I can sing fully, that is an article of faith. And as you said, one that must be preached to us constantly because we would we would always look at our lives and and not be able to, to see it. So we have to have it preached that we would believe it. You're right. And we don't feel it either. Hmm. I mean, th- I'm not saying there, there are never days when we have a peaceful feeling, but so often the time we don't feel it. We feel guilty. We feel the crushing blows of the law. We look at our lives and we feel despair, and so even our feelings so often betray us. But uh, as you said, the article of faith teaches that we believe these things. We trust in what God is saying, even when our emotions are telling us, no, 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 you have sinned, remember what you did, remember what you did, God declares you forgiven for the sake of His Son. And yeah, we, it needs to be preached constantly, because we are prone to forgetting it constantly. I wanted to... Uh, I thought you had a great point. When you were talking about the opening of Zephaniah, and how the Lord says at the front, the opening chapter, when he's really firing with both uh, b- both barrels, there is that, be silent before the Lord, says Zephaniah. You know, sh- 
shut up and listen. And I was reminded of the proverb that says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And that opinion can certainly include, you know, self-justification and this idea of wanting to excuse ourselves or talk ourselves out of the jam or talk ourselves into a righteous position. As a headmaster, I have delightful students here. Um, I really do like our student body, and I enjoy engaging the kids. But as these kids get older and smarter, uh, they, they want to argue. They want to argue. And, you know, and, and they're not afraid to, to push back on me if they think that they have a reason to do so. And being that they're classical students, we, we do train them to think. Um, and, and sometimes, though, they, they, they do what we teach them to do a little too good. <laughs> and uh, so <laughs> there are moments when I have to tell them, listen, be quiet. Hush and just listen to me for a second, you know, because they're talking over what I'm trying to tell them, and they don't, they don't understand the point that I'm trying to make. And that is, that is similar to what's going on with our sinful condition in Zephaniah's time, when we, we have plenty to say, and we think we have plenty to say, and we're convinced of what we're saying, but the time is to be quiet and learn to listen and let God speak hear his voice in the pages of Scripture, and, and when we do, we hear that our justification is not something that we produce, and we're not in the business of trying to talk ourselves out of the judgment, but hear what God is saying, that good news. Then we can speak with singing and just really rejoicing over, over what he has accomplished. I'm reminded of the way Paul talks again in Romans chapter three in that classic text that we hear on Reformation Sunday, particularly where he talks about what becomes of boasting. He says, boasting is excluded. And I think generally when we open our mouths apart from the Lord and his word, that's what our lips tend to do is they tend to boast in what we have done, in what we have accomplished and what we think we can accomplish. We're, we're constantly boasting in ourselves. And the word of the law comes along and says, be quiet, stop boasting about yourself, quit. And, and by the way, here's why, because these are your sins. This is what you have not done that you should have. This is what you have done that you shouldn't have. Be quiet, quit your boasting. But then once the Lord has silenced our boasting, then comes that word of the gospel where he tells us what he has done. And when our lips open once more, having heard that, what do they say? Well, they say, amen first, the word of faith. It is so because God has spoken it. I am righteous as he has made me to be. And then they sing. They, they speak words of praise, of boasting, now not in ourselves, but boasting in the Lord, which I, I don't know that he goes there in Romans 3, but I think it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and in other places where, where Paul talks about, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. And, and that's, I mean, that's, that's where Zephaniah has gotten the people of Israel at this point, is that they would open their lips finally now to boast in the salvation that God has given them. Right, right. Yes, no, no, well said. And they're finally going to speak and say something that they should have been saying all along, which is just uh, really rejoicing in what the Lord has done. And this, this text is, is it's going to be needed, this, this chapter 3, um, because I, w- I was thinking about this before the interview. Um, it, it does happen when we don't realize how good the gospel is until we are crushed and the law has done its job. Because when we're boasting and we're filled with pride, we, re- we think we have no need for the great physician. When we realize our sickness and how desperate the situation is, 
suddenly, suddenly the, the gospel is, is a sweeter message, and we realize how bad we need something. We need this forgiveness of God that we've needed all along, but it does take the work of the law to crush and reduce us and show us how bad we need it um, before we realize ourselves that this gospel is something I need to be holding on to. And for Zephaniah's hearers, you know, to the question of when, when did Israel really come to appreciate this text? It may not have been until after the, the, Babylon, the Babylons, Babylonians excuse me, have come on the scene, leveled Jerusalem, raised the temple to the ground to a smoldering pile of ashes, Perhaps it was then that they realized this glorious passage, what the Lord has done for them and still will do for them, even though they have sinned, brought into exile from their land, the Lord is still with them and for them. He even says he's still still in their midst and promises them, you shall never again fear evil. That would have been a great passage for, for, you know, the Israelites when they're being marched into Babylon it's a passage for us today, because if you want to talk about exile and being sojourners in the well, we can talk about that, too, in the context of the Church. Um, but I was reflecting upon this chapter, hopefully, possibly, really hitting home once the Israelites had you know, felt the pains of judgment, when the Babylonian army came upon their precious Jerusalem and just knocked it to the ground and took many of them uh, to Babylon. And we'll keep reflecting that here on Sharper Iron. You're listening to KFUO. Looking at Zephaniah 3 this morning. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 16th. We're looking at Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. We've got Pastor Ryan Agradowitz with us. He serves as associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church in Brenham, Texas. Pastor Agradowitz, we left off after the break with about verse 15. We talked about the Lord is in your midst and how beautiful that would have been for the people of Israel, having experienced what they were about to experience under the Babylonian exile and thinking then about the promised return. And the Lord continues in verse 16. The prophet Zephaniah writes, On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Such a, a common greeting in the scriptures, a wonderful word of comfort. Fear not. Take us into that. Right. So just the phrase, fear not, O Zion, um, excuse me, on that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, he will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud seeing. First, just the phrase, fear not, O Zion, fear not. Uh, the Lord will say similar things in the Gospels uh, when he says, like, take heart, um, it is I, do not be afraid, statements, statements like that. 
Those are words. Those are really words of absolution. Fear not. Even, even, even do not fear your sin, because I have taken care of things. I am with you. And God says here, he is a mighty one to save, a critical verb right there. There is salvation in your midst and the God who is with you and for you. So fear not. And especially given everything we, we go through on a daily basis with our own sin, the world today, I mean, we all have, have checked the news and seen just what, what a chaotic state things are, to hear that, fear not. There's so many things that agitate and cause us to fear. We need to hear these words of absolution. God saying, fear not, O Zion. Uh, let not your hands grow weak. You know, the work that we do as Christians, it gets tiring. I mean, it, whatever vocation you serve in, if you're a father or a mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, worker, whatever it is, it's easy to, to, to think your labor is in vain. We get fatigued, worn out, or think maybe what we're doing is just not accomplishing anything. Um, but we shouldn't let our hands grow slack and weak because the Lord is in our midst. The Lord is with us and for us, and he doesn't abandon his baptized children. Now, this language about the Lord being in your midst, you know, it, it's, it never ceases to amaze me when I'm reading some of the Old Testament and something in the New jumps out, and then vice versa. And this just, you know, kind of popped into my mind, the Lord is in your midst. I recall what Jesus says in Luke 17. I think there's a connection here where he says, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or therefore, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And that's Luke 17, verse 21. Um, Christ being in the midst of his people, the kingdom of God being in the midst of his people. Whenever you hear the word of God, the Holy Spirit is always operating and active in his word. And when you possess the Holy Spirit, you possess, you possess the Father, the Son, uh, you possess your one true God. And so being in the midst of God, um, hear his word and receive his sacraments. In baptism, one receives that name of salvation, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And where that name is, there is a name of salvation. So he's in the midst of those baptismal waters, to be sure, promising to give you things. Um, his name, he seals you with that name, and therefore he has sealed you in his love as his own. And of course, when you receive the Lord's Holy Supper, God there again is in your midst when he comes to you in bread and wine, declaring that to be his true body and his true blood for the forgiveness of sins. And of course, in Matthew 18, the Lord says, whenever two or three gather in my name, there I am among you. So God is in your midst when Christ is in your midst, and the New Testament is quite clear how Christ is in your midst. It's no mystery, and you don't need to go look for him. Hear his word, receive the sacraments he has instituted for his people, and there you have Christ, and there you have salvation. Now, I'm talking about Christ and, his, and the sacraments and so forth. Um, it is not at all wrong or bad to look at Zephaniah and see this testifying to Jesus. In fact, Jesus says all the Scripture testifies to him. Uh, when one reads Luther, the great reformer on this passage, you know, he does not shy away at all to say, this is Zephaniah here talking about the kingdom of Christ here in Zephaniah chapter 3. And there are all sorts of connections and markers in this text that call our minds to reflect upon the New Testament Gospels, the Epistles, and so forth, where Christ is there, His Kingdom is there, and, and all the good things He brings to His people, and will continue to bring from now until that last day when He comes again to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. I know that's a lot to take in, 
But it's just the more we wrestle with these Old Testament prophets, we see they're testifying, they're testifying to something greater than some historic event, okay? It's, you're really shortchanging yourself if you look at this and you think, well, the Restoration is going to be another theocratic state here on earth where there's another king and the nations are under us. No, it's, it's much bigger, much better. We're talking about the kingdom of God, a kingdom that comes in Christ, and a kingdom that will experience when either our Lord takes us to be with himself or when he brings that kingdom, that new heaven to new earth, uh, on the last day. So that's a lot to chew on. We can go in some other directions, but I think that line is just so pregnant and full of glorious things when it says, The Lord, your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And as Christian people, we should recognize what that means. Well, and you're exactly right that that has to point us to Christ. And again, thinking where Zephaniah is, historically speaking, under these reforms happening during the reign of Josiah and what happens afterwards and just the the history that comes, where else does this happen other than Christ? The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. And it's not the exact same language but when when Isaiah writes in Isaiah chapter 7 that God is going to give the sign of Emmanuel, God with us, which again is not exactly the same in Hebrew, but is certainly a related concept. And Matthew comes along and tells us in Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel, that, that thing that Isaiah, that person that Isaiah was talking about in chapter 7, that's Jesus. I mean, these words have to point us to Jesus. He he is the one who comes to be in our midst as one who will save. That is what his name means. Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. It it simply has to point us to Jesus. And and that is such good news in the midst of these enemies that we that we fight the weariness that we experience as Christians, the weakness that God would strengthen us with this news that he is in our midst. And and then I mean, just to, there, there is so much in, it's just a, such a fantastic text, but, but to help us just keep going, I mean, goodness, he then will rejoice over you with gladness. Doesn't, Jesus talks this way in the gospels. He, he talks to his disciples of giving them his joy, his joy so that their joy would be complete. Uh, he will, he will quiet you with his love. There's that, that image again. He will quiet you with his love and he will exult over you. Oh, there's so much there, Pastor Gratis. I'll let you take the lead and, and help us you know, help us down a direction. One of those statements. Yeah, it's really a spoil of riches, and you know, to be quieted by God's love, you know, that's something we all desperately need. And to be reminded that God does rejoice over us. What is God's attitude over you? Well, He rejoices over you with gladness. And I think too, that's a point not to be lost because, you know, as we go throughout the day and the things that happen to us, you know, it. it we all have our temptations, we all have our particular proclivities to this or that sin. It's easy to forget that God loves us. Now, that sounds like a, a, a Sunday School Bible 101 point, you know, Jesus loves you. And we all say, yes, 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 I know, but do we really believe it? Do we trust in it throughout the day? When we're suffering or going through pain or something tragic and unexpected happens, I find it personally quite easy to think, well, well God must be mad at me, or I did something uh, to, to bring this calamity on myself. I mean, these are temptations that even good, faithful saints are not immune to. And so we need to, to know and believe God rejoices over you. He's excited about you and loves you as his own and your sins are no longer a barrier between the reconciliation of you and him precisely because of his Christ 
His Son, the Anointed One, who broke into the world to save it by bearing all of our sin, taking it to the cross, and dying for it. Uh, when you read this passage with Christ in mind, when you read it as a testimony to our Lord and Savior, suddenly, I mean, the dots just connect, and it's just, it's just you know, shining with all the comfort that we need to live as God's people. And, and that's why it's such an appropriate text for this third Sunday in Advent. The the thought of, of God rejoicing over us with gladness. Oh, I mean, as you were talking there, I was calling to mind Luke 15, where, where Jesus tells those three parables of things that get lost. You've got the lost sheep and the lost coin, all culminating in the lost son. And of course, Jesus says there's there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. I think, I mean, how much the angels even rejoice this joy of of God in saving His people, which really is is pictured so beautifully in that parable of the lost son, where the son comes home, he comes to his senses, he comes home, he thinks he's going to come home as a slave. But what's the father doing? The father's waiting for him. And when he sees his son, he runs to greet him. And you just see this this full and complete joy of the father to welcome back his child, to call back his people to himself. Those who who had forsaken him, now he he's he's overjoyed to welcome them home. And, and that's that's the joy that God has when he welcomes us. I mean, you talked about the Lord's Supper and, and the Lord being in our midst. Well, think of the joy that the father there in, in Luke 15 has to throw this party for his son. That's what happens every I, Sunday morning. It's fantastic. Yeah, it is. And I didn't think about that text. Uh, you know, I was thinking about an earthly analogy um, that I think ties in Luke 15. But you think of like a, a mother with a baby, a mother with that firstborn baby, and just delighting over this child and just so happy to see this child or even even a father. I mean, I, I, I you know, remember when my kids are getting a little older. My youngest is three. But when they were in that that real baby stage and you just you just man, you can't help but smile when you see them and they giggle and they have these gummy smiles and you're just you're just downright giddy over them. You know, that's the kind of joy God has over his children, a joy that just sees nothing but purity and spotlessness, again, because of Christ Jesus um, and, and, and all that he has done. Going back to Luke 15, when the father sees his son, the joy just overwhelms him, and he is just thankful to have his child. No stern talking to, no, well, these are you know the stipulations to get back in my good graces. Well, I'm glad you're back, but you did this, 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 and that. None of that stuff. And, it, you know, and this is a, a, a great message for, you know, if anyone is listening and it's been so long since you've been to church and you don't want to go because you think uh, the, the roof is going to fall in on me. You know, there's all those jokes and stuff. Um, but, you know, that's not to make light of those feelings of I, I can't go to church because it's been just so, so long. And if I go, you know, it's just not going to be good or the pastor is not going to be happy with me or any of these things. No, go. The Lord loves his children. He loves his children. The child who is one who lives in repentance and faith in Christ. And in Christ Jesus, there is no stern talking to. The sin, the judgments have been taken away. And you belong to your Heavenly Father who rejoices that you are his. He will also quiet you with his love, which again fits with that, that theme we've been talking about, though in a, perhaps a slightly different way. There was that silence at the beginning of the book of Zephaniah. Be quiet in the face of the Lord's 
law. And now this singing and shouting, but in the midst of that, there's also the Lord quieting by his love, which I think, you know, I mean, there are, there are certainly times in the Christian life where we, we have to sing, we have to shout, but there are also those moments where the Lord's love has at least outwardly has this opposite effect of, of leaving us in, well, maybe like Mary at the end of Luke or not at the end of Luke chapter two, at the end of what we usually read on Christmas, where, where she ponders these things and treasures them in her hearts. That's kind of the picture I've got here of the Lord quieting by his love, which certainly we experience as well. Yeah, I think, I think a distinction needs to be had. Um, you know, there is a difference between a parent or a teacher having to, in a very stern, finger-pointing way, tell a child or student, be quiet. Right? That is the work of the law. You're telling them you have to do this, as opposed to someone outflowing with silence because they have received God's love. I really think the distinction comes down to law and gospel. Um, what, what comes to my mind is one who has received absolution. They know they are forgiven, they've heard these words spoken, and they say nothing but to take the Mary passage, they just treasure it. They ponder it. And that, in my mind, is an example of being quieted by God's love. You have nothing more to say because there's no need to defend yourself. The defense has occurred in Christ, your advocate, and now you can go in peace and even quietness because the Lord has absolved you of your sin, and there's no reason to try to defend yourself or talk yourself out of the jam because God has done the work. Hmm. Yeah, the the peace and and quietness. We we pray that I can't remember which evening service it is that we may live in peace and quietness. I'm not sure if that's Compline or Vespers or evening prayer. I know it's in, it's one of those evening evening services where we we pray this way at the end of the day. Yeah, there it is. It's in the evening prayer that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness. It, that that's what God gives to His people Israel in the Old Testament. That's what He gives us fully in in Christ. And, and it is, there's that, that quietness over what God has done by his love. Again, he will exult over you with loud singing. Verse 18, I, I think it takes us into a little bit of some of that context we're talking about. The Lord writes, or the Lord says through Zephaniah, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. That sounds perhaps like it's talking about what happened under Josiah and the return of the, the Passover celebration. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, and I brought up earlier how there, there's a little bit of debate on Zephaniah before, it even as before or after the reforms, that even led to the institution of the Passover. And in this verse, you know, it certainly fit in the context of people, you know, wanting the Passover and seeking that really, really important festival. I mean, how do you forget, how do you lose Passover, right? This is a huge historic event in the life of Israel. It's a huge celebration that they were to do every year. And here, I mean, it, it, in, in Josiah's reign, it's like people just scratching their heads. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to do that. It would be like Christians forgetting about the Lord's Holy Supper. I mean, this is huge. Well, there are people in Zephaniah's, uh, you know, during the time of his ministry, they were mourning for the festival. They want worship, and they want it back. And even if it's after the Reformed, it's like, it's like you know, we discussed earlier, a reform that happens at the top is going to take some time to trickle down. There's still going to be obstacles and so forth, even if the king has instituted a good reform. Point being, though, they are mourning for worship. They want the festival, and the Lord promises to gather those, so they will no longer suffer reproach and shame and so forth. Um, and, you know, there, there may be some application there for us today, those people who are having trouble 
getting to worship, but they mourn for it. They miss going to church, but maybe, you know, they're under a real severe lockdown right now and all that stuff. You know, I know that's kind of a, a separate conversation, but the Lord does hear your cries. He hears your pleas. He knows what you need. He knows what you desire, and he will say, take he will take care of you, and he will not abandon you. But here, I mean, he promises to gather, gather those of you who mourn for the festival. So there is this idea of gathering and staying connected, really a communion of the saints thing happening here. The Lord will keep you as his own and gather you as his own in his flock, his church throughout the world. I, now, going into... Yes, well, I was just going to say, I mean, I think, I think the the application you made to our current situation still in the pandemic and i know that varies depending on where you are in the country i think is 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 spot on that that there are certainly those christians who mourn their who mourn for that gathering of of worship who mourn to receive the supper of the lord and for one reason or another have not been able to and i think a verse like this is a fantastic promise to put before those people that that no matter what happens with this pandemic, the Lord will gather you, and, and and one day he will gather you for the full feast, not just the foretaste that we receive here, but the full feast that will come with his heavenly banquet. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're spot on with that application, so could continue on. Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, we were talking about Jesus earlier, and we, we see in verse 19, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors. Okay, I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. There is that great reversal theme happening right here, where God takes the low and exalts them, but the proud and the haughty he pushes down, so a reversal of things. And, you know, there are some similarities of this in, you know, Luke chapter, um, the Gospel lesson for today, yeah, Luke chapter 7, 18 following, you know, the Lord does say when he is, uh, you know, John's disciples come to him and ask, are you the one or shall we look for another? He does say, tell John what you have seen and heard, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And so you see some similarities in language here between verse 19 and Zephaniah 3 and what is uh, Jesus is saying in Luke 7.22, the lame the outcast, the ones of society that are they're on the lower rung of the ladder and maybe even ashamed of what they've done who you know and, and who they are um, these people these people um, you know again it gets back to repentance and faith the Lord had tax collectors and prostitutes following him listening to him and believing in him Roman centurions listening to him the people that you would not expect, are the ones hearing and believing the Holy Word of God. And here, this promise of salvation is going to such people, despised and looked down upon by society. The Lord's salvation is for them as well, and He is promising to save them, to gather them, and to change your shame into praise. I mean, the outcast is going to be gathered. Now, I think, too, you know, getting back into some application here to our current context, I mean, who is the outcast today? Uh, You know, to my knowledge, we don't have leper colonies or anything of the sort here in the United States. Um, You know, they exist in other areas of the country. But the outcast, we may want to talk about who is going to be labeled today as as the heretic in the world's eyes, the, the one who is wrong in the world's eyes, the one who needs to be ostracized in the world's eyes. 
And, you know, I think we have to be bold to say it's becoming it's becoming more and more severe for the Christian that if you are a Christian and you stand up for the right thing, you're going to be the outcast of the world. You're the one who needs to go. You're the one who needs to get out because you believe in something like male and female marriage, right? How dare you? Or you believe that all life needs to be preserved from womb to the end, so you're not going to support euthanasia, killing off the old at 75. You're not going to support killing a baby in the womb um, for whatever reason, but you're going to champion life as God has spoken it into existence and tells us to defend uh, the little ones. You're going to be the outcast. You're going to be the one who needs to be you know, out the door and so forth. Well, here is a great promise. No, I will gather the outcast. <laughs> you who are you know, uh, put out of your homes, your businesses, society, whatever, the Lord promises to gather you, and he will keep you, and he will, he will make you a part of his church. Another, another comforting promise that you, you're not alone. Your God is with you and for you, so fear not. You mentioned that the Luke 7 text is paired with this on Advent, the third Sunday in Advent, and John's in prison in that text. He, that's why he's sending to Jesus. At that moment, he's he is the outcast, yeah. and he will die for it. But here yeah. is here is the Lord's promise for him. Which again, I mean, ultimately, all these texts I think are, are pointing us toward the resurrection, which is where those promises are fulfilled for John and and for you and for me as well. Yes, yes, right at the resurrection, the resurrection of the body on the last day when the Lord comes, and you know he he really does make all things new at that point. Um, but yeah, John is in prison, of course. Yes, he is an out. You know, he is on his way out. You know, he he knows it's not going to end well in this life anyway. Of course, he is beheaded and so forth. But yeah, but he is the one who needed to hear the preaching of Jesus to to be heard. John, you the outcast at this point will be gathered to me. That in death you go to live, and therefore do not be afraid. Yeah, and that's a promise that we we need to hear today for all sorts of reasons as Christians uh, continue to suffer and be persecuted here and abroad throughout the world. We've got about three minutes left in the morning, Pastor Grotowitz. We've got verse 20 left. Take us into that verse and then help us wrap things up. Right. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Okay, fortunes restored, you can certainly talk about that. Um, in the context now of being a baptized believer. In Christ you have all things, you are forgiven, but we still live in that now-not-yet tension to where we have things, we also are looking forward to that time when the Lord comes back and the restoration is now experienced. You know, when he brings in the new heavens, the new earth, it's talked about Second Peter 3, Revelation 22, and other passages. So um, this is a time of gathering, a time of God promises that though the Church, the Holy Christian Church, is scattered throughout the world, and God knows those who belong to Him, there will that time when we are gathered and united together before His throne of grace, and we see Him face to face. So plenty to look forward to, even as now we can rest in the comfort of having all things in Jesus, knowing that forgiveness now means only uh, life now and at the resurrection. Pastor Ryan Agrotowitz is the associate pastor and headmaster at Grace Lutheran Church and School in Brenham, Texas, helping us this morning with Zephaniah 3, verses 14 through 20. Pastor Agrotowitz, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The Lord rejoices to save you, a sinner, to welcome you as his child. 
And in that joy of the Lord, you too have joy, joy that sings and shouts, joy that is quiet in wonder and awe at all the Lord has done for you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.